You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning, and so it's going to be great. Um, it's called Read Scripture, and uh, the tagline is Joining the Story That Points to Jesus. Uh, the very first words of the Bible are in the beginning, and the very last words of the Bible are and they reign forever and ever. That's just a great story, right? So the Bible is a story, it's a narrative, and uh, it, is, it is not just a pointless story to entertain us, it points us to Jesus, and, uh, and it helps us see Jesus. And so when Jesus uh, enters the temple and they gave him the scroll and he talked out Isaiah, he talked like nobody else did, and he said what nobody would say. He said, truly, truly, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Drop the mic, sat down, and that was the end of the story. The scriptures are to point to Jesus, there to help us see Jesus. If we pick up the scriptures and in some way have not clear seen who Jesus is and what he's doing in 2020, we better pick it back up again because that's what the purpose of the scripture is. It's not to build a political campaign. It is not to judge others. It's not to become an expert. It's to be a child at his feet and to know Jesus and to know what he's doing on the earth. And so that's our prayer. It's about reading scripture and letting scripture read us that we might be transformed and grow in the wisdom of Jesus. Uh, so I used to, uh, 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 I grew up in a non-Christian household, and um, my, my testimony, my story to f- begin following Jesus was deeply tied to the scriptures. It was like 2000, I was sitting in Kyra's uh, front yard, my dear wife Kyra, basically I had Kyra there, and my son Leo there, just give a shout out. Uh, we were at uh, Swanson Drive, and I was sitting outside with a teen Bible, one of those with the skateboarders on there that tells you why you shouldn't gossip and why the gospel doesn't gossip or something. And, uh, and I ran across the passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not self-seeking, it is not rude. And uh, what C.S. Lewis said happened to me on that day is that my desire was awakened for something I hadn't tasted. C.S. Lewis says, when your desire is awakened for something you hasn't tasted, it must mean that you come from an eternal place, some place that you don't see with your eyes and ears. And so from that day on, it wasn't an altar call, a song, a Hillsong conference, it wasn't Billy Graham, it was just the scriptures. I mean, isn't that incredible? Like the scriptures found me as a 16-year-old boy and said, come and follow. And I said, yes, and, nothing, and, and, and uh, none of that has changed ever since then. And so um, my first encounter was very much about pointing to Jesus. My first encounter with the scriptures was not about pointing to a person or a personality or a culture or charisma. It was pointing to, I believe, the word of God, which is Jesus, Jesus Christ himself. It is, it is, is the word of God. Uh, Jesus is the word. And so uh, that was my first encounter. Now, uh, from there, I went to a public school, uh, IU University, Indian University. There's 40,000 kids there. Um, it is a very secular school. It is a uh, kind of progressive bastion in the middle of this conservative block, and people are on crusades there to just take you out from believing in old backwards things like the gospel. And so um, I remember uh, in my classroom and after school and with our kids, you know, uh, hearing people talk about the Bible differently than I had encountered it. Uh, You would have professors that are just using the Bible, just normal literature that they're going to put up next to other sacred texts like, you know, the Koran or something like that, or Joseph, uh, the the Mormon kind of um, canon there. And they're just like, yeah, this is just another way of thinking and and another sociological construct, anthropological construct. Uh, you had people there that were uh, using the Bible to try and unprove it. They were trying to point out the, you know, the inconsistencies of it, and they were trying to use it to disprove uh, the validity of the gospel. Um, you had people that were using it for their own means, you know, to uh, score more touchdowns, you know, and uh, get the team riled up, you know, that we can do all things in Christ and get everybody excited, you know. Like, there's lots of different ways you could see the scripture other than 1 Corinthians 13 on Swanson Drive. Um, I got involved with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, and they, 
They had mentors there. They did a great job with discipleship there. And it wasn't just about Sundays. It was about life on life. And um, I remembered uh, hearing people talk about Scripture in a different way than uh, my surroundings. Both in and outside of the church, the mentorship, uh, the people that were, were part of that, the, the, the Scripture just kind of would flow off of their tongue. It was a part of who they were. They couldn't talk about their decisions or their life or look backwards and reflect without somehow seeing the Scripture mingled somewhere in it. And so um, I remember that that the, the rule, the, you know, the, the scriptures, uh, instead of being used as a, as a law book or instead of being used as um, a, a judgmental thing, you know, something to put on a poster to judge one sin against another, uh, the Campus Crusade culture was to wrestle with and meditate on the scriptures day and night. Um, there was this sense in, in, in small groups, I remember, where it was like the scriptures had this divine wisdom. And the idea was that we wouldn't want to move on without it. I remember even a passage like this morning that we shared in the volunteer meeting before we got started with church. You know that the first will be last and the last will be first. I remember sitting there like wrestling with that with guys. Like, well, what does it mean to be like first or last? And like, what's the difference between arrogance and confidence? I mean, if you do something successful, like you're going to get noticed. And so what do you do with that? And how do you not have a false sense of humility? Like what's real pure humility? And so we would wrestle this thing out, like understanding that the scripture was meant to be discussed and meditated on. And so um, the scripture this morning, I, I, I want to just kind of, we're going to have a seven-week series, um, but I just want to kind of lay out some basic parameters uh, for the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about first why we would read the scriptures, what the scriptures are for, and what, you know, should be going through our hearts and our minds as we approach the scriptures every day. Um, what the scriptures actually are and what they're not, uh, and so that we would use them as the vehicle that they are created to be, uh, to, to help us to grow in wisdom with Jesus. And, and then finally, how we might um, not just be passive, but invited into, invited into the process of being changed and transformed um, by the scriptures. And so that's my intent today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 4. And, uh, and uh, this is, this is an important passage, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where it says the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tested. We could just preach a whole sermon on that. Maybe you have heard sermons on this. But Jesus is going to get tempted and brought into the desert and tested uh, 40 days and 40 nights, much like the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And, uh, and, and, and we're going to notice that, um, that Satan is going to tempt him, um, not just with thoughts and, and temptations, but with, with Scripture. And you're going to see Jesus is going to also use Scripture, respond to Satan's temptations, but use it in a very particular way, handling it um, differently. And so this is what, 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 the, what the scripture says, Matthew 4, verse 1, it says this. It says, Then Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Verse 3, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So you're going to notice there are three different tests that Satan puts before Jesus. Tests. Uh, that tests the trust that Jesus has for his father. He has just been baptized. He's just been, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit has come on Jesus to anoint him for his ministry. He's ready to be active in ministry. But the very first thing before ministry is he's led into the desert, and there's th- three, t- three different tests. And so the first one sounds like this. It says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. 
And they will lift up your, their hands so that they will not strike your foot against a stone. So the, the devil is using scripture to tempt Jesus. This is a great irony here. He's using Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Lord Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He's, he's taking this quote and he's not misquoting it. He's quoting several verses of scripture to Jesus as a part of his testing that was already, um, that was already initiated really by the Holy Spirit of him leaving into the, de- into the desert. Jesus answers this way. He responds to the second test in verse 7. Jesus answers him, it is also written, do not put, your Lord, put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse 9, all this I will give you, he said. I will bow down. Uh, all this I will give you, he said, I will, if you will bow down and worship me. Verse 10, Jesus' response for the uh, third test. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I remember when I was in, in IU, um, there was a kid down the hall. Uh, he was just like us. He played Xbox One. He played Halo with us. You know, we were in like a tournament all the time and play. And he was a Christian like us, and, and we just um, loved the Lord. Uh, but there was this interesting way that, unlike, you know, Swanson Drive and, and the, the texture, the tone of the way that Scripture was handled um, in my heart and the way that I was used to it, uh, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that just loves to debate and just argue. And so you would be like, you know, hanging out, playing video games, and all of a sudden be like, hey, what do you think about Calvinism? And this dude just, I mean, he lived for it. I mean, other than the fact that, like, uh, it was a great theological discussion, it didn't really affect or impact anything else of the rest of his life. He just had this category of his faith that was like, my job is to just argue with people about Calvinism. You know what I mean? And I remember, like, you know, like, apart from Swanson Drive, like, the way that, that this guy would just a light switch would flip on and, and he was a great guy and he loved people and he loved the Lord, but he just saw the Bible as, as a law book. Like he was like, if I can figure it all out, then I don't have to ever be a student. I'll always be a teacher. And so it was like, I'm, I'm just going to, and then, you know, and so um, I remember there's another time we were playing Mario Kart. So my video games are showing my timeline here where, uh, where uh, um, we were uh, going for a walk between classes and this really just, I mean, you just know, ever like, there's people that are like 20, there's, I mean, people that are just saturated in anger. Like, they're just so angry at something. You know what I mean? Like, there's, I mean, it's just the things that they're saying, but also the anger. And the topic was, you know, abortion. And, and they had these signs and these posters and these pictures, which are super gruesome. And, and I'm totally great with protests, and I'm totally great with being public and demonstrating. But the heart of it seemed different from the spirit of what I had read in 1 Corinthians 13 so long ago, right? And because the scripture there wasn't, you know, a, a prophetic voice to point towards our Savior Jesus. It was, it was used for arguing and judging sins one against another and saying this is why this sin is worse than another one and so forth. And so, um, and so Jesus here is, is dealing with Scripture differently than, than his, his tempter is. Jesus, uh, there's three things that, that, I, that I note from this, um, is that they're both talking about uh, Scripture, uh, Satan uses um, Psalm 91. So let me just contrast this for a second. Satan brings up Psalm 91, as I mentioned before. Um, Psalm 91 is a passage that is about the promises of God for safety. And the opening line is, he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High you know, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And, and so uh, the focus of that psalm, me and Kyra actually did on Mother's Day uh, a message on this because we went through the psalms and Psalm 91 was one of them. And the message of the psalm is supposed to be something along the lines of this, that if you trust God, if you, if you draw near to him and believe his truth over the truth of the world, then he will keep you safe as you dwell in him. 
And so the line of thought here in the invitation in Psalm 91 is, if you trust God, you'll be safe. But the way that, that the enemy brings up this line to Jesus, he says, he will command his angels concerning you, throw yourself off of this, uh, this cliff, basically. He will command his um, angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The, 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 the sentence structure there and the logic there is completely flipped. So instead of saying, if you trust God, you'll be safe, he's saying, if you're not safe, you can't trust God. So he's taken what was a scripture that is about finding yourself and trusting in the character of God and then finding yourself because you trust the character of God. And he's, he's flipped it on its head and said, trust your circumstance and your circumstance will tell you everything about who God is. He's taken us right back to the garden and he said, uh, God's holding out on you. And if you see anything in your life that doesn't look like he's you know, protecting your foot from a stone, it means God must not be trustworthy. And so he's, he's put in an indictment. He's challenged the very legitimacy of God's character based on circumstance. Now, Jesus, Jesus not only knows the scripture, he understands the scripture, and the scripture has meaning to him. I want you to notice that he didn't pull out Google and said, is it a good, a good idea for the Son of Man to throw himself off a cliff? Like, he memorized it. And that was not uncommon for you know, the young pupils like within you know, the Torah and instruction and learning, you know, what, what, the, what the Torah was all about. Um, it, it was the idea that you had it memorized, but not only that, but the, the, the memorization had meaning and it had memory, okay? So, um, uh, how many of you guys watch The Office? Okay, that's good. I was hoping it was right down the middle. Office brings us all together. Um, so, uh, my daughter Rose is uh, in volleyball. She's a great volleyball player. Uh, she just got through with this like um, homeschool league that is up in Spartanburg called uh, the the that's the name of the team. What's the name of the Star Center? The Upward Star Center. It's a great place. It looks like it's out of the future. It's a basketball gym. So, anyways, um, the last day of practice. This is common for intramural sports. Is like they'll get the parents to do like a parents versus kid thing, and uh, and so. I, I pretend like I don't care, but I'm so excited about just, comp- like, my life is so uncompetitive, and I'm so excited just to dominate some kid. And so, uh, anyways, so I show up, it's after work, it's like 5 o'clock, and I tell Kyra to bring the clothes, okay? So she, like, packs all my shoes and my shirt and all that stuff, and I come out of the parking lot, and this is why I love you, Kyra, this is exactly what you need in a wife. Proverbs 31 would have had this if it was one more verse, but she... <laughs> She sees me and makes eye contact. She takes my little plastic bag with my shoes in it and just holds it up just like this. How many of you guys know when you hold up a plastic bag with gym clothes in it, you should be thinking right back to the office, okay? Right, so you're thinking about this. It's, this is, this is uh, Ryan, the temp, and this is the episode, like third episode in, where they're playing intramural basketball with like the uh, inventory guys down in the basement. And so it's like this big, over-competitive, like uh, just middle-aged guys who think that they're way more athletic than they are, and it's just a great setup, right? And so uh, when Kyra holds up that bag, I'm not just thinking about shoes, right? I'm thinking about an entire meme, an entire culturally loaded storyline that is just about an overweight, you know, just like a middle-aged guy who's going to get injured. He thinks he's better than he is. It's an incredible, like, comedic setup, right? And so in, the, in this scripture, what I'm trying to get across is like, Jesus isn't just spouting off random facts. Jesus is recalling an entire story in Deuteronomy of the Israelites being tested in the desert and God being faithful when they fail. So he's not just bringing up a truth, he's bringing up an entire testimony that he's trusting in. That's a, that's a completely different thing. So we have mind maps, right? And so if I say, hasta la vista, baby, or if I say, I'll be back, or if I say, cowabunga, 
Or if I say, I was born in the darkness. You know, you think the darkness is your ally. Like if I quote some of this stuff, you are, you are, I just transported you into a memory. Like I didn't even just, I didn't just give you a word or something to think about. I transported you into a whole entire like web of, of, of culture. So when Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, okay, uh, he quotes, actually I got it down here, Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.16, Deuteronomy 6.13. He's not, he's not just spouting off random facts like, let me just, you know, throw out the good vibes and just say a bunch of scriptures, you know, and hopefully one of them sticks and like gets the devil off my back. He's quoting trust. He's quoting a story. He's quoting an entire testimony that his mind has been saturated. He's not just like throwing out a word to see if it works for their various time because he's never thought about the scripture. He's quoting out a meme that's packed with meaning. He's quoting out an entire storyline of God being faithful in the desert with manna. It's an entire um, teaching about why the Lord, maybe this is even for your season, why the Lord, um, there's a difference between judgment and discipline, like why the Lord disciplines those he loves. So, so when he's in the desert, then, then the kind of um, softer, intangible sides of what he's quoting is speaking to the enemy and to himself that when things are difficult, it doesn't mean that God's let me down, but maybe he's just testing me and, and making me who I need to be in this moment. You know, he's, he's, he's quoting scriptures, uh, for example, in Deuteronomy 6.16, about how the Lord opposes enemies, and we should fear the Lord, because in fearing the Lord, instead of opposing us, he'll oppose our enemies and protect us and keep us safe. In Deuteronomy 6.13, uh, it's, it's not just about... Um, remembering the teachings, but it's about teaching your children's 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 children to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. There's, there's just feelings that would be impossible in the same way as if you've never seen The Office, you might be lost right now when I talk about that bag. There's feelings and emotions and, and, and storyline that's packed into the scripture that God, or that Jesus is talking about in this thing that we wouldn't understand if we weren't to be meditated on the law day and night, day and night. So why do we read the scriptures? And 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us exactly why the scriptures are here. And we would do well to understand what it's saying because if, if you gave a person a car uh, or if you told a person that you were going to give them a car and then they end up with a bicycle, they would be super disappointed, right? So, so you can call you know, a bicycle a car all day long, but a bicycle is not a car because it doesn't operate like a car. And so the idea here is like, what is, the, what is Scripture and what is it for? Like, what is the purpose of the Scriptures? This is, what, um, this is what Paul says, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul speaking to Timothy. This is what Paul says about Scripture. He says to Timothy that Scripture, from infancy, the Holy Scriptures, have been able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So this is what Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says. Paul speaking to Timothy the scriptures that you've had, the ones that you've meditated on, the ones that you've developed memories on, the ones that you have a mind map of that regulate your thought patterns and they tell you where to go, they are living, breathing, and active, and they have done the miracle work of taking you from folly to wisdom. Somehow your interaction has put you in a spot so that you don't just know more stuff, you are transformed, and that when you enter the deserts of life, your memories are different, your map is different, what is on the tip of your tongue is different, and somehow, through the power and the authority of the Scriptures, you have come to the Scriptures foolish, but the, the Scriptures have made you wise. And not just wise in money, not just wise in health or relationship, but wise in Jesus. Wise in the kingdom. He goes on and says, Because all Scriptures, God-breathed, 
and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may become thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the thing, like, um, you know, when, when, when I first start following Jesus in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, and I get a disciple or, like, somebody's going to say, you know, to read the scriptures. And, um, and then the question becomes, like, why? Like, what is this book that's in front of me, and how am I supposed to read it? And, like, if I don't feel like reading it, why should I maybe try and make myself to feel like I want to read it? Like, what is the reason? What's the motive? Because the way that we sit down in front of the scriptures will change everything that happens. The reason why will, will change everything that happens for the next 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 minutes. And, uh, and somewhere along the line, and I don't know if you're like me, but this, this idea has made its way into my mind and, and somewhat, I think, undermined the effect of the scriptures because they've caused me to look at scriptures in, in sort of a different way. Um, I wrote 1 Corinthians 13. I had kind of a fortune cookie, you know, approach, right? Like I wrote 1 Corinthians 13 in my Nalgene, and I remember Hosea 11, that he has led you with strands of human kindness. And I remember 1 Timothy, you know, where it says like four, where it says like don't let, you know, um, older people look down on you and your faith, but like set a good example for the believers. Like there were these passages that kind of warmed my heart. And so, so my, if I reflect back on it, this is, you know, 15 years ago, the approach to scripture was fortune cookie, and the scriptures were there for my comfort. Uh, the scripture was there, like my, I remember youth pastor would be like, you know, Jesus, he's just out there at the coffee shop, and man, when you don't do your quiet time, he is just so bummed, man. <laughs> like, he, like, you just left him, you just stood up, Jesus. He'll forgive you next time, but he's super bummed that you didn't, you didn't show up. When Jesus talks about the scriptures in Matthew, and he says, like, my commands are like a rock, he says, that there's, he gives a great parable. You guys know this one? There's two people. There's a wise person and there's a foolish person. And both of them actually hear the commands of God. Okay, But the wise person takes the word of God and puts them into practice, whereas the foolish person walks away unchanged. Right? So this is how Jesus looks. Let's not just talk about like common culture. Let's talk about like what's the scripture saying and what's, Matthew, what's Jesus saying in the book of Matthew. Jesus is not offended that the guy's uh, house falls down with a great crash. Like He's like, He's like, not like, oh, that hurts my feelings. Like, I think he remorses it. I think that he wishes more for the person. But, like, he's, he's not, like, personally offended, like, like, Jesus is happy because I do my quiet time in front of him. Like, that's how we get up. It's like, oh, I really love Jesus. And to prove that I love him, I'm just going to read this really boring book every morning. And I hope that works. Like, I hope that that's tracking. It's like, Jesus, like, we're not um, missing out. You know, we're not causing Jesus to be offended by skipping Scripture a life apart from Scripture just causes, like, divine foolishness. The purpose of, like, when I'm skipping, you know, reading the Scripture, I'm not hurting him, right? I'm dangerously hurting myself. I'm, I'm, I'm completely skipping over the divine word for wisdom in Jesus. So how many of you guys know or are or have dealt with foolishness in your life? Just foolishness, Right? How many of you guys are sometimes foolish? Okay, let's just admit that. Okay? Foolishness, like the problem with foolishness is not just that it makes mistakes, it's that it doesn't learn from mistakes. A fool will just get in a financial car and just drive themselves into debt and just never look back. And, and all the while, the while, like the Lord and life will continually be sending that person just messages like, hey, you know how, like, you're just $30,000 in debt? You know what I mean? And you're not really changing directions? Like, that might lead you to some trouble. 
right? And so, and so like the world and scripture and life is like trying to, trying to tell. And foolishness can have 20 people in a room that are wise and somehow the fool will go and find another foolish person just to like hang out with and not listen to anybody that's wise. This is the nature of foolishness. Foolishness can take a completely peaceful like vacation, Christmas, and just make violence out of it. Have you ever noticed this? The ability and propensity of people that hold grudges and are just super offendable. Like no one wants to be around it because they're just, there's no limit to the amount of foolishness that, that like there's no learning from it, right? And so the fool, like a good, per, like a wise person can take something that is not going well and make it better. And a fool can take something that's going great and just figure out a way to just blow it up, you know? So the opposite, right? So let's think about that for, the wis- for wisdom. Uh, uh, the de- the de- definition of wisdom in Webster's Dictionary is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good wisdom, the quality of being wise. When a wise person around, it just makes everything better because the wise person is not using their time for projecting and blaming. They're using their time for growth and learning. They're not blaming the situations and circumstances for where they are. They're, they're, they're thinking and, and reasoning uh, hopefully with divine wisdom, with the Lord, about what to learn from each and every situation. A wise person can't be around broken things for very long because a wise person isn't afraid to go and fix them. They'll go in, like, they'll go in advance and move forward and move towards the problems and not away from them. Um, wisdom, you know, is pretty much the highest possible human capital because um, I think we've all seen that uh, money doesn't necessarily buy fashion, right? And good looks doesn't necessarily buy beauty. And, uh, and even physical health doesn't necessarily buy emotional health. And so the highest possible capital is wisdom. And, and, so, and so what the scriptures are telling us here, if I could move over to this whiteboard here finally, but the sacred writings um, are not here for us to read so that we make God happy. They're here to change us because they have the miracle power to make us wise in Jesus. When, I am not, when I'm distancing myself from the scriptures, when I'm separating from my, myself from the scriptures, I do believe that God's heart is grieved. I do believe that he has offered us eternal and abundant life with him, and he desires that we would abide in his word. And so there is a relational dynamic, but the biggest person that gets hurt as I distance myself from Scripture is not the Lord, it's me. Because I'm choosing in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s to just continual and habitual foolishness. Just, just you know, gambling you know, money against my kids' like uh, college fund, you know, like wasting my life and giving it away towards work and becoming a workaholic and completely missing my children's childhood. And worst of all, uh, believing that spending 10 extra minutes sleeping or exercising is actually going to take me further in life than listening to the divine word of the Lord. Like this is, what, this is what's happening when we are ignoring scripture. And so, for, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you, Kyle Walker, raise your hand, Kyle. Kyle's a great financial advisor. I mean with Kyle, if you need financial advice, go meet with Kyle. He's a good guy. And so uh, I'm going to meet up with Kyle, and, um, and what Kyle's going to tell me, I already know, and I'm kind of like, dang it, Kyle, why do you have to say this? And why do I know what you're already going to tell me? He's going to tell me, if you eat Chick-fil-A every day, you are, you are going to end up in a situation where you actually chose Chick-fil-A over your college tuition. Like, that's what he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you your decisions are going somewhere, and if you don't change directions, like, you're going to put yourself... In a, ton, in a ton of trouble. You're going to put yourself in folly. And so I think it's something like 30, only 37% of Christians actually read the scriptures. Only 37, only 3 in 10, maybe 4 in 10 people. Um, the scriptures, the, the, the words of God that are not only just human words, they're divine words and they're inspired and inerrant, have the ability, unlike 
the Wall Street Journal or unlike a blog or Instagram, have the ability to rise up off the page, get into your life, mess you up in such a great way that you actually go from foolishness to wisdom, spiritually. And when we make the decision to spend 10 extra minutes exercising in the morning, what we're saying is, I think that exercising is going to be, bring me further down the road in life than the wisdom of the Lord. That's essentially, essentially what we're saying. And so the reason why we're, we're reading the scriptures is because it brings us to divine wisdom, wisdom in Jesus. Now, I think we've all heard the spiel from the pastor that we, we should all do our quiet time. And I think we all nod our head and we're like, yeah, we should do our quiet time. And tomorrow you'll do your quiet time, but then the next day you won't. Uh, and, and, that is, and that is because it's not just about a disobedience factor, it's also about a discouragement factor. It's running into that place with the scriptures of misunderstanding and not knowing why it's there and being bored with it or, or, or just not having um, something that seems, at least in the moment, meaningful um, moments in the scriptures. I want to read this verse to you, Revelation 10, verse 9. In Revelation, another place where the scripture talks about scripture, it says this, So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. I will turn, it will turn your stomach sour, stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So again, the image here is that the person is eating the scripture, and although the scripture is sweet like honey to the lips, it is sour to the stomach. Maybe you would take the application somewhere along the lines of, uh, the scripture is beautiful and poetic, and sometimes Jesus will open up with a great parable, but once you let it sick in, it just kicks you in the gut. That's what scripture's supposed to do. It's supposed to kick you in the gut. So this is just important, right? Because if you start sitting down to a dinner and you think you're going to get cheesecake and you get broccoli, that's, that's going to disappoint you. Like your expectations will, will ultimately cause your experience with what you just ate, right? The scriptures are not, like I, I just watched, we're back in the Marvel movies now because it's covid and I just watched Captain America, and the moral of that story is basically, if you get a six-pack, you're going to be a hero, and everyone's going to love you. Like, that's a pretty simple movie, and I'm not here to philosophize about it. It's that simple. But that's not what the scripture is. Like, the scripture's not cheesecake, it's broccoli. And it's good because it's broccoli. And it's good because it's not there to entertain, it's there to change you. And so it needs to be approached in a very deliberate way. Like, when we go to work out in the morning, we don't just stumble out of bed and pretend like we're going to a movie. There's a mental process of getting ready for it, getting the music ready, getting the size. Like, there's a process, and I'm just saying that oftentimes, if we're jumping in the scriptures thinking it's a car and it turns out to be a bike, we're pretty ticked off because it's not a car. It doesn't just zoom you from A to B. It builds you, it strengthens you, it builds your endurance, it forces you out of your own head, and it should confront you. The difference between soaking in worship and reading the scripture that soaking oftentimes can bring you to a place of comfort where, where Scripture's main priority is to challenge you and not comfort you. It's to be an external authority to show you the path you're heading on to not continue to buy Chick-fil-A sandwiches and instead turn and go and grow in wisdom with Jesus. And so um, this is what the Scripture is, if I get it on the screen there, that Scripture is not primarily for entertainment. It's not for information. It's not to answer all of life's questions and explanation. And it's not to be a warm little cup of tea to get you going when you're not feeling good. It's there to break you and then build you up again. It's there to transform you. So what was it about the scripture that was in Jesus' mouth when he was in the desert that made it so powerful? It wasn't just that it was accurate. is that it was loaded with memory. It was part of a testimony. And it wasn't just truth that he abstractly believed. It was something he trusted. It was a truth combined with trust that led to transformation. When we pick up the scriptures and we put it down, we should ask ourselves, not did we check off the box or did we memorize something new or have more ammunition to go and tell why we're right and somebody else is wrong 
or have something else to teach somebody else because that is not the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is to point to Jesus. And when I put the Scripture down, I should be asking myself, what did I learn about Jesus today? Why do we read Scripture? Because Scripture, somehow, in its power, its authority, and its inerrancy, has the power and the authority to change us, to transform us from foolishness to wisdom in Jesus. So what is the Scripture? The Scripture is this. It's on the board here and on the television. Um, it says this, that the Bible is a library of writings, both human and divine, telling a unified story that points to Jesus. And I'm going to kind of spend the rest of the time just vetting that out. But the scriptures that you have in your hand is a library of books. So the fact that you say the Bible is a book is actually unbiblical. It's kind of ironic, right? The scripture is a library of books. It's actually several books. It's like going to Barnes & Noble. It tells a unified story, so it's not unrelated like the way it is at Barnes & Noble. But when you go to Barnes & Noble, there's several genres, and you'll go to the sci-fi section and the poetry section and the sports section, and you'll expect to find different covers and densities and different tones and authors and contexts, and that's more like what the Bible is. The Bible is a list of narrative history and genealogies and chronicles and laws and poetry and proverbs and prophetic oracles, riddles, dramas, biographical sketches, letters, sermons, and apocalyptic writing. So the Scripture is a library of writings that is made up of a diverse and eclectic literary genres of narrative, the big categories are narrative, poetry, and discourse, prose discourse. In these categories, 43%, 33%, and 24%. And so, what the good Bible teacher will tell you, if you're going to seminary, is because it's a library of writings, that the scripture needs to be observed before it's interpreted. Before we get into Genesis... We need to understand that Genesis is not a science textbook. The office isn't here to like tell you how to have a good marriage. It's here to make you laugh, right? So when you pick up the book, the respect for the book is, what was this book for? So the question shouldn't be, why is the snake talking? The question is, why did Moses write to a covenant people introducing a snake that is another being undermining, at the very first beginning of the page is undermining, Humans trust to God. That should be somewhere along the neighborhood. It should not be as the, as the world created in seven days. Because that's not the intent. That's not why the author sat down to write it. If it's a letter, uh, you know, like we have to understand that there is cultural surroundings and context that's going on in the letter. So Paul didn't write a textbook on, you know, soteriology in Romans just to teach you, you know, how to be saved, which it does brilliantly. But it's also, in the way that it's written, a letter from one person to a church in order to help unity form between the Jews and the newly accepted Gentiles within the church of Rome. We have to have this. We, have, we can't just, you say, well, I just want to go back to Scripture and just read it for what Scripture is. Well, Scripture is words, and words are interpreted, and there's never two words even in one across time, let alone across languages, that are the same. So Scripture needs to be interpreted, and before we do any of that, we have to observe if this is a poem book, we need to think about it as poetry. If this is you know, a law book, we need to think about it as the law as it overarches into the narrative history of Israel. We need to think about what is the genre of the book that we're reading. Number two, the scripture is both divine and human. And so Timothy up here, how about a hand for Timothy who just leads us in worship and uh, is anointed to host worship for our church when, when he just plays the keys up here and just dominates. A question you would ask yourself is, who is causing the music to come out of the speakers, Timothy or the keyboard? Yes, right? They both are. So what we have, again, is a beautiful tapestry of a unified story made up of diverse authors 
and writings to help us understand and point to Jesus. Now, if you ask me, that's actually more divine and holy and doesn't question the sovereignty or the authority of the scriptures to me because it'd be like um, if, if I said uh, Paul um, stole cookies out of the refrigerator. There's Paul Garrigan. If I said Paul stole cookies out of the refrigerator downstairs after church and we need to charge Paul the $5.50 for stealing the cookies, that would just be one guy saying it, right? But if you had a collection of people, of 100 people that are all in, this, all in the same room, that all saw Paul, who describes him just like the way that he is with the red jacket and a black jacket and the brown shoes and the blonde hair, it'd be incredibly hard to deny that Paul probably did it, right? So what we have is not a golden manual that's just been handed out of the sky, because actually there's a lot of cults that have a lot of golden manuals. We have a beautiful tapestry of historical work that has never been denied or never been refuted, made by several, you know, dozens and dozens of eyewitness writings, most of which are people that were killed for what they wrote, all combining into one unified story that leads to Jesus. Did, did, was, was God wise in giving us something that will transform us into wisdom? He has given us a historical document that has just the right literary tone and just the right story and just the right um, collection of narrative that helps us understand undeniably who Jesus is and what he means when he shows up on the scene. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Finally, the scriptures is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so the hero on every page is Jesus. It's not Moses. Moses is a flawed man. Abraham is a flawed man. Joseph is a flawed man. This is not about biographical sketches of people that we should try and model our life up. This is about people whose entire lives and testimony continual in their faith and their failure point, point to the faithful one, which is Jesus. This story is about Jesus. And so one of the things that I would want to do in the next couple of Sundays is to tell the entire story um, in larger chunks. The problem with the way that we oftentimes uh, get into Scripture in the, you know, the modern church is we read the Scripture in 10-minute and 40-minute chunks. If I were to show you Civil War, Captain America, and you were to watch it 10 minutes at a time, you know, uh, in, just, you know, in, like between three, you know, skipping two and three days between each time that you saw it, the story would probably fall apart pretty quickly. But the, but the story is not meant to be read in 10-minute chunks or given you know, in 40-minute lessons on Sunday church. It's meant to sit down and read in large um, uh, narrative sweeps that help to understand where the story is going. A case in point, I brought this up in a sermon a couple of weeks ago with the case of Gideon where Gideon puts out a fleece to test the Lord. The lesson that you're supposed to get out of Gideon is why is this guy not trusting the Lord yet? Why has he continued to test the Lord and put fleeces out? Um, as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm going to go home and put a North Face fleece out, and if it's wet in the morning, I'm going to marry uh, Mary, Jane, or something like that, you know? Uh, so, so that's the idea, is that the whole story is telling it a big picture of, of something that is all pointing to Jesus, is all being fulfilled in the Messiah Jesus. And so um, we need to see it as that, as a unified story, not a collection of Aesop's fables that just basically tell the kids in Sunday school, obey your parents. It is, a, it is a story that is aimed at helping us understand what Jesus means when he says, repent and believe uh, for the gospel is here, or for the kingdom of God is here. All right. So um, I did not chart my time well, so I'm going to close on this last piece and, and, um, and, and Timothy will come forward. So this leads us to the last question. And that is how we should read the scriptures. If the scriptures are here to bring us divine wisdom, they're not just writings and talk about their power. And they have the ability to change you and transform you from spiritual foolishness to spiritual wisdom. They'd be really important to read, but also really important to read in the right way. If the scriptures are not just one golden book that was handed down from heaven, but if it is a library of writings that has multiple genres of literary design, and if it was both divine and human, if it needed to be interpreted like 
Maybe we should just not be doing holy kisses when Paul says us to give us holy kisses in, 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 in COVID-19. Uh, maybe there's some cultural interpretation that needs to take place, right? Because it's both human and divine. So if it's a library of writings and not just one golden book, if it's divine and human, if it's cultural and divine, and if it's a unified story that points to Jesus, how would we read it so that as we walk through the deserts of life, it would not just be random, scattered, cookie, fortune cookie quotes that are floating around our head, or a rule book or a law book, but how would it become an instrument in God's hand to change me into wisdom in Jesus? How would we read it? Um, I thought of this metaphor uh, from a podcast that I was listening to a while back, and that's how they train firefighters. Uh, firefighters are trained with visualization techniques, much like um, athletes. When firefighters go into buildings, there's uh, so much sensory overload that goes on, there's not enough time to make the right decisions once they enter the building. So the visualization practice is to predict possible outcomes and circumstances so that when that firefighter is in that situation, they're already prepared to eliminate different things and make the right decisions. The same as athletes. They actually did a study on athletes that shot free throws all weekend, all week long, athletes that did not shoot free throws, and then athletes that pretended in their mind they were shooting free throws, and the athletes that visualized and actually meditated on the free throw mechanism in their mind actually shot almost as well as the ones that practice all week long, which shows you how powerful your mind is. Okay, so think about this, because we're talking about the office. When, when the cultural meme, that's what she said, comes up in the show. Just give me one pause, hang on one second. Just hold on, we're not there yet. We're almost there. I'll, I'll cue you in a second. Listen, what that does, what's that designed to do is it creates one of those charts that you had in third grade when you start a brainstorm, and it connects food, airplanes, um, uh, innuendos, um, memories, barbershops, hotels, airlines. It connects a whole bunch of stuff that's unrelated to sex and connects it to sex immediately, right? Because that's what she said joke is a massive meme that helps your brain connect everything that shouldn't be related to sex to sex. How many of you guys have seen this before, right? So if you were to spend a week meditating on David's failure with Bathsheba and killing Uriah, and the pain that that caused, and the heartache, and the failure and the brokenness that it caused in and outside David's life, and you were to meditate on that, like a firefighter would meditate on that memory that idea of the doors that are open and the closed and once you get into different situations, maybe you, you meditate on it and you make a decision. I cannot afford to lay horizontally with anyone that's not my spouse. Like you just make that decision ahead of time. You are going to end up on a different path meditating on the scripture than meditating on the that's what she said joke. You're gonna end up in a different spot. So what we meditate on, what we are thinking on, creates an entire map. And that map is connected to a dozens and dozens of memories. And so what we're doing in Scripture is not memorizing them to be quick on the sword drill or to just throw verses out that we don't understand. We're creating memories of testimonies in our head. And it's not just the truth. It's the testimony that gives us victory. It's not just the truth. It's the trust in the truth. So my advice, my, my whole thing this, during this time is this is an invitation. It's not just a time for me to get up here and just talk about the Bible. It's an invitation to grab a prayer journal and meditate. It's a fancy Latin word up here, Lectio Divina, which just means divine writings, reading the scripture, meeting him in the scripture daily and meditating on it is an opportunity and invitation 
to reframe your mind, to see your mind rewired um, so that it, it, it connects things with the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of darkness. And so these are the four things, and I don't have time to go through them, but it's your heart, it's your mind, it's your soul, it's your strength. It's opening up your heart to, to sit in a place of gratitude when we're in gratitude, and, it, and, it's, and it's, in, it's insisting that I'm not a scholar in front of this Bible, I'm a son. What happens when we were grateful? We realize we're not in control. We realize that the one that holds us is, it has our best interest in mind, that he loves us, that he takes care of us. So when I express gratitude, necessarily my mind begins to open up and my heart begins to open in a different way, prepares for the scripture in a different way. When you read the scriptures, we are, you know, we are reading it with our mind. You know, Eugene Peterson in the message at the beginning, it talks about Lectio Divina and it talks about reading things with a muttering voice, reading it out loud, reading it slowly and reading it twice. I would advise for you to participate in this, to join in the stories, to read with your mind first and then with your heart. Where is the sentence going? Don't be afraid of the structure of the paragraph and let the scripture say what it wants. What does this mean before? What does this mean to me? It's it's trying to understand that if it's a library of writings, divine and human, and a unified story, then it needs to be observed before it's interpreted and interpreted before it's applied. So read it twice. Read it once with your mind and just let it say what it needs to say, like as if it didn't have any... It wasn't going to hurt your feelings or offend you. Just read it like it was an English class. But then read it secondly with your heart. Third, you can pray. David would command his soul. Anything that isn't agreeing upon, anything that offends you, you push, your, push the Bible away, think about it, meditate on it, and think about what startled you, what struck you. And then any place that comes to a, a, a decision of trusting or taking, any place that comes to trusting God or not believing him, then choose trust instead. And then finally, making plans, the starts and the stops, the things that faith looks like. Maybe it's a call, a book, uh, a conversation, a question, a prayer time. It's just taking the next step and opening up faith to see him um, meet you in wisdom. And so we have a lot ahead of us, and these are the themes down below, but we'll talk about each one of those one by one. My, my intent for the next couple of weeks is to look at the entire library of the writings and look at each one each week and discuss what the kind of narrative genres are in each one of them and therefore give you interpretive questions about how you handle things like why does it seem like God is telling people to just kill innocent Philistines? You know, I want to I bring up those interpretive questions so that we can interpret them the way that they were supposed to be interpreted and then apply them so that they can point to Jesus that we not, not, might not be foolish but we grow wise in Jesus. Um, cool. All right, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward uh, and Timothy... We can play now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, uh, we're going to pray. Come on and stand up with me. And um, we're not going to miss a moment. Um, we're going to meet with him here. Um, we need him so bad. And so I'm going to have actually Mackenzie and Kyra come up over here. So ladies, because I know it's kind of weird to have ladies, ladies, guys, guys. Enough. We want to have people that can pray. But... Um, we're going to have ministry time. I just want to tell you on Sundays after message, we're going to have a time to be prayed for. Jesus said, the whole point, whole point of this, this story is that Jesus is a king who's reigning in his kingdom today. And where the king is, the kingdom is. So Jesus rolled the scroll and he said, I have come to set the captives free. I have come to open the eyes of the blind. I have come to liberate the prisoners. When, he, when the king is here, the kingdom changes. The kingdom advances. So the kingdom is here. And his invitation and, ha- and since, he, since he came, since he died, since he resurrected, is to come forward and to receive the kingdom of heaven now. And I want to invite you in this time and even upcoming Sundays to just come down for prayer. If you come down in faith, he will meet you where you, where you, where you come down in faith. He will meet you where you are. 
so we have, I got just, let's see, uh, we got Paul and um, Kairos over there and Mackenzie and Daniel. And these are just brothers and sisters. And uh, we're just going to host time here during this last song and afterwards for ministry and prayer. If anyone in here is healing, is, is sick and needing healing, if anyone in here is oppressed and needing deliverance, if anyone here is broken and they need blessing, if anyone in here is lost and they need found, if anyone in here needs salvation, today is the day. The King is here. The kingdom is here. And now is the time uh, for the power of Jesus to just interrupt our life and make all things new. And so Holy Spirit, we just with all the faith that you that we have invite you to come and invite you to stay. In moments like this as we just respond, there's just been so much we've been talking about and I know that you've been doing a lot and you've been working and moving, but I just pray for faith for response. I pray that when we come to that place and we, and we hear the whisper of God and we hear your voice pointing to your son, that we would not wait, that we would take a step. And so I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're just going to meet us. I thank you for openness. I thank you for heart-to-heart connection. I thank you for ministry that's going to happen in this room um, and ministry in the future. We love you and trust you in these things. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.